Surreal Noir by Dime Store Films. Part 3 The sun beats down as Guy labors through the desert brush, his brain barely getting a signal to his legs to just keep moving. He's panting like a stray dog in August. Staccato punches of air accented with a fine mist of blood. He drops to his knees and desperately drags his hands through the dirt. Finally, mercifully, he finds the cover to his hidden supplies and tosses it aside. Guy goes straight for the canteen and begins the careful, desperate act of filling a bowl, not wanting to spill a drop but in dire need of the water's relief. The wound left behind by the noose is bubbling over with infection, the rot claiming its territory. Guy gingerly runs the water over it, and the rot fights a losing battle. The wound begins to scar over almost immediately. Sludge drips to the ground as the water and the infection have merged into a vile and caustic soup. As he feels around his neck for any spots he may have missed, a few drops of the rot's pus fall into the bowl, tainting the water. It takes over, exploding out of those initial drops, overwhelming the water, again forming an oily sludge. The water's purity shifts to a sickly infected tint. Guy stares at the reaction, puzzled. He rubs the tainted water in between his fingers. It's different now. Thicker. He tries it on his wounds. This time it burns like hell. He recoils in pain, dropping the bowl. The contaminated water is useless. Frustrated and dire, Guy switches his tack and begins pouring the water straight from the canteen spout. He's less concerned with waste than he is just taking the pain away. In the midst of recovery, he pulls out his radio and starts to tune in. Checking in. What's your status? <laughs> Fucking half dead. Beat my head against the wall. They ain't gonna budge. So what you're telling me is that you have nothing. I'm not interested in your setbacks. I need information. I told you, this is gonna take time. Maybe more than I thought. And, and now, I'm out of the element of surprise. Yeah, well, you did that all by yourself. You want me to press people? This whole job would be done right now if I could just throw around the weight of the company just a Are little- Are you hearing yourself talk to me? Because if you were, then I wouldn't have to remind you how important it is to look like it's contained or what a liability it would be if people knew we weren't in control of the situation. It's better they think we don't know than we don't know how to stop it. So act like you know what the fuck you are doing. Mm hmm And when I do find out how they're getting out, what makes you all so goddamn sure I'm not just going to take a powder with everyone else? Because you're weak. Because you know we'd find you. And gee, what if we didn't? What does that give you? 80 years out? That's a blink. Then you get delivered right to my door, and I will personally guarantee that the next place I bury you will make that town feel like a fucking vacation. Guy clenches his jaw, trying to choose his next words more carefully. Do you hear me? I want to hear you say it. Yeah, I'll find it. Guy tries his best to mask his frustration, but it's becoming apparent, even to him, that he's out of his element. The droning sound in the distance hangs in the air. This time, Guy focuses on it and begins to trace it. 
It grows louder as he comes to a nine-foot-tall cornfield, a swaying roadblock. The drone is coming from deep inside the field, pulsing and rising, ever steady. Mesmerized, Guy reaches out to touch a stalk. He jerks his hand back immediately, caught off guard by the razor's sharp edge. The blood seeps out of the fresh wound. Gritting his teeth, he pulls a handkerchief out of his back pocket and wraps his hand. A cackling draws his attention. Further down the wall of corn, three junkies hoot and holler with the excitement of young ne'er-do-wells. From what Guy can make of it, the two were playing a game of chicken. One junkie teeters for a moment, then lets himself lose the fight against gravity and falls toward the corn's razor-sharp leaves. At the last moment, his companion grabs the back of his shirt and halts his descent, making sure his face doesn't meet the same fate as Guy's bloody palm. The spared junkie howls with the rush of adrenaline. A third burnout sits off to the side, lazily regarding the situation. He fidgets with burnt matches that litter the area around his feet. He finds one that hasn't been lit yet and strikes the head against his boot. The fire explodes and dances on the tip of the match. He brings it up to his nose and snorts the flame. It disappears into his nostril. His eyes close, and a mile-high smile creeps across his face. Guy approaches the two adrenaline junkies at the edge of the corn. Putting a lot of faith in your buddy there. The chicken players look at him, confused. Not entirely sure he's real. Guy snaps his fingers in their face, but nothing changes. Vaughn, the daydreamer on the grass, pipes up. Hey, man. Be cool. What's wrong with them? Ain't nothing wrong with them. They lit. Burning up. Having fun. What about you? Been here a while? Well, right here? No. You notice anybody disappearing from town lately? You know, kind of a here one day, gone the next type of thing? Yeah, I know what disappearing means. Great. Then answer. They get a new sheriff in town or something? Last few boys trying to keep things in line around here got strung up. You should go talk to them. They talk your ear off. He motions to the scarring on Guy's neck. But something tells me you've already been out there, though. Guy stares back, cold and dead. Well, if that's the case, then that makes me either tougher than 40 grit or an escaped lunatic. Either way, I'd be pretty goddamn nervous right now if I were you. Shit, look at you. No right, scarred over. You don't know pain? There ain't nothing about you that fits in trying to come over here and boss around a bunch of match heads like you got something to offer. Guy snaps into action. He grabs Vaughn by the collar and yanks him to his feet. Come on, man. How is this fucking with you? That's what I'm trying to tell you. I don't know shit. Them half-wits know less than shit. I've been hearing that a lot. Town's getting smaller and somebody knows why. So you're gonna give me something. You're gonna give me a yes. You're gonna give me your name. You're gonna give me your goddamn shoe size. I don't really give a shit, but somebody here is gonna start talking. And right now it looks like that somebody is you. The junkie tries to shake himself loose. Oh, what's the matter? Had a lot to say before, didn't you? What happened? Oh, come on, man. What do you want to know? My name? Vaughn. There, now let me go. You fuck. Only one I know keep track of things is a mister. That's all I know. Him. One points to one of the other wastes of space at the edge of the cornfield. 
Check his pockets. You'll find your way in. Vaughn shots over to the frolicking numbskull. Jeffrey! This guy needs to know the way to the mistress. He stares back, confused. The book! Vaughn makes a flipping gesture like he's opening a tiny paperback. Jeffrey pulls out a matchbook. He holds it up and examines it like it just appeared in his hand out of thin air. Yeah, yeah, that's it right there. Guy moves toward Jeffrey, catching him off guard by a mile and a half. Frightened, he panics and rushes into the corn. He wails at the realization that he's wandered into a field of barbed wire, his flesh tearing with every brush against the stalks. Goddamn brain dead. Guy turns back and starts toward Vaughn. Maybe he ain't too far in there. You go on in and grab him. I'll get you in the door, I promise. Guy stares into the cornfield. The wailing intensifies as Jeffrey weaves deeper into the maze. Grabs Vaughn again by the collar. Lead the way. I told you what you wanted to know, man. Let me go. Guy marches him to the cornfield's edge like a human shield. Vaughn's cool starts to crack, realizing his impending doom. I ain't going in there. What, are you crazy? Nah, I just feel like taking a walk with you. Vaughn breaks the corn's veil and begins to yelp in pain. He's crossed just enough to have the corn rip at his clothing, then his flesh. He writhes like a wild animal, moving only on instinct, and lands an elbow in Guy's face. Caught off guard by the blow, Guy loses his footing and Vaughn slips from his grasp. He's peeled himself out of his jacket, leaving it behind in Guy's hands like a snake shedding its skin. Guy tries to get a lock on the screams coming from his original target, somewhere on the other side of the thicket. He moves along the perimeter of the corn, staring into the mess. The loud drone coming from the field makes pinpointing Jeffrey nearly impossible. Guy's ready to charge into the corn, but his preservation instinct won't let his body do it. He's a child on the high dive, afraid to plunge. He grabs Vaughn's jacket off the ground and tears it into strips, wrapping sections around his hands, face, and exposed skin like a crude armor. Inside the cornfield, Jeffrey is running wildly, desperate for an exit, lost. The deeper he goes, the more damage the corn's razor-sharp leaves inflict, and the more he screams. In the midst of the cornfield, the nondescript journey becomes more defined, like a lens coming into focus. A cacophony of moans and pained cries are all coming together to form the steady, anonymous tone that can be heard for miles. The cornfield is littered with bodies that never made it out. They started here, but weren't strong enough to escape the boom their wounds festering and full of the rot. They are the stillbirths of this hell. All of them. No matter what their state of decay, they're still alive. Their pain and wailing, the only thing that unites them. Back at the safety of the edge, Guy finishes wrapping his exposed skin in strips of the discarded coat. He's ready to charge in, staring intensely ahead, trying to build up the gumption to plow forward. One foot, then the other. Jeffrey charges out of the field and into Guy who tumbles backwards to the ground. Jeffrey follows him down, writhing and screaming. Regaining his footing, he tries to take off again. Snapping out of shock, Guy grabs the perp's ankle, bringing him down to the ground. Jeffrey's still moving though, trying to crawl away the pain. Guy grasps at his flailing limbs, eventually getting a solid hold on the junkie's leg. He digs his finger into one of Jeffrey's gaping wounds. 
The sting subdues him. He's powerless to do anything but hold his wounds. I acts quickly, tying up Jeffrey with the tattered remains of Vaughn's jacket, making sure to plug his mug with a gag. With the dust settled, Guy pulls the matchbook out of Jeffrey's pocket and examines it. It's faded and abused. The front decorated with a picture of a pinup girl. He flips it over, expecting some secret message or code to point him to what's next. But the back is blank. Guy opens it to find all the matches have been used, and the inside is just as much of a dead end as the back. He turns his attention back to Jeffrey, who's still bound and gagged on the ground, squirming, and coming down from whatever high he was on. Guy crouches down next to him. Okay. Now I'm gonna take the gag out. If you're gonna scream, go right ahead. No one's gonna hear you over that racket. So just go ahead and get it out of your system quick, because you and me, we're going to talk. Jeffrey and Guy stand at the front door of the Mister's mansion on the outskirts of town. It resembles an old, two-story southern manor. At one time it may have been lavish, but left decades ago to the elements. Its facade has warped and eroded, like a monument worn away by acid rain. The door is peeled open to reveal another brute. A new obstacle to knock Guy off course, and if Guy knocks back, this overfed golem will settle for just halting his progress a bit. Yeah, what is it? This one's coming down pretty hard. Caught him in town trying to break into Arnie's shop. Look familiar? Oh, yeah. Looks like he killed himself up real bad, huh? This brick wall of a man stares intently at Guy, as if he sees right through him. Yeah, well, uh, there's some sort of finder's fee I can collect then. Because, you know, Arnie's mad as hell, and you know how he gets. It becomes obvious to Guy that the doorman can't see through his lie. He can't see much past ten feet. He's high on the same drug as Guy's captive. I need to talk to whoever's going to make this right. The bouncer contemplates Guy, then stands to the side. He knows the way. Go ahead, take him up. Guy enters the mansion cautiously, following Jeffrey, who shivers and breathes heavily. The interior of the mansion has a dilapidated luxury that Guy hasn't seen anywhere else in the whole town. Other members of this commune putter about, almost like servants, tidying up, busying themselves, some fascinated by invisible sights. It hadn't dawned on Guy before, but there's a uniformity to this so-called Mr.'s followers. They all bear the trademark, shaved head and hairless body. Jeffrey's momentum drags Guy up a winding staircase, straight into the roadblock glare of two more men guarding a double door. They're repulsed by Jeffrey's mangled form, but they can see the pleading in his eyes for relief. His wounds have a story to tell, and the mister's gonna want to hear it. The guards part and let them both through, keeping a close eye on Guy, ever the outsider. The doors open to a large southern gothic parlor. The acolytes in the room buzz around an oversized desk, tending to the elderly matron of their clan, the crown jewel at the head of this whole operation. She's perched in a wooden throne, an intricately carved wheelchair that seems crafted to magnify her dominance dwarfing even the most imposing caller. This is the mister. Guy takes her in for the first time. She appears to be in her late fifties. In her day, a, a real looker. 
he recognizes her as the pinup girl from the matchbook cover. But time and environment have taken their toll. She's a weathered statue, beauty peeking out through the cracks. There's a motherly but dominating quality about her, and she's boiling over with confidence. Are these people her slaves? Her children? Her lovers? Guy can't tell. Jeffrey runs over to her and cowers at her feet. She holds his head in her hands and looks at him with pity. Jeffrey, you poor thing. No Better Lot is an original production of Dime Store Films. Written and directed by Christian Gradelli and Hunter Norris. Narrated by Stan Adams. Performed by Mike Schminke, Brittany Baker, John Mossman, Travis Delgado, Jim Solturos, Christopher Meister, Brian Noonan, Matt Young, Adria Dawn, Marshall Crawford, Anthony Dobrowalski, and Sam Beck. Original score by Abby Rajashaker and Matt Wenzel. Engineered by Brian Bachman. Dialogue and narration engineered by Nick Sherman. Recorded at Decade Music Studio in Chicago. Sound design and mix by Matt Wenzel. Script supervision by Jake Weissman. Casting by Sarah Clark. You can find us on the internet at NoBetterLot.com and DimeStoreFilms.com and on social media at DimeStoreFilms.com.